Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. We're going to rewind history by seven years for a little bit. So we're going back to 2011. And I want everybody to try to remember what was going on in your life in 2011. Maybe you have some great memories. Maybe it's just another of a, a long list of years that have blurred into obscurity. For me, it, it's a memorable year. Uh, I was really busy and really tired. And I had noticed that I was feeling more tired more often, like to the point that some days I could just barely drag myself out of bed. And that didn't work for me because I had a lot going on. I was a youth pastor of a youth group that was bigger than this church is, and I was working a little more than full-time for AT&T, and I had four kids, and so I'm like, i got to do something. I went to the doctor, and I said, hey, I'm tired, and he'd been my doctor for a long time. He's a good guy. He knows me well. We're kind of friends, joke around. And so I tell him, I'm really tired. I, I can just barely go to work in the morning. And he's like, well, you have four kids, right? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you work like 50, 60 hours a week, right? Get out of my office. <laughs> You're fine. And so I did. I continued my thing. But I started to have more symptoms. I wasn't just tired. I started having night sweats. If you don't know what that is, that's like you wake up in the middle of the night and the sheets are soaked and you're just trembling and sweaty and it's gross and nasty. And I, I started to get a little more concerned because fatigue and night sweats, that sounds like some cancer stories I've heard before. What's going on with my body? And I was also losing weight. And over the course of a few months, I lost 20 pounds. And I didn't have a lot of extra pounds before that. So getting more concerned. And one Sunday, a gentleman at church mentioned, Chuck, you look like you lost the weight. Are you doing all right? I'm like, I should probably go back and remind the doctor everything's not right. So I go back to the doctor. He starts running a bunch of tests, and everything's coming back okay. Right? But I feel terrible. I'm exhausted all the time, night sweats, losing weight. Um, I start to get shaky, like really, really shaky. My large muscle groups cramp up at inopportune times. I remember one Christmas service at our church. I was up on stage, and my thigh muscles locked up so tight I couldn't move for a minute. Uh, and I don't think anybody knew anything was going on, but I did, and I was really concerned. Like, I couldn't walk off right now if I had to. And so finally he figures out, and what I had was an autoimmune condition that's called Graves' disease, where your body basically attacks your thyroid. And so we started attacking my thyroid with drugs, and I started to feel better. Um, but that was kind of a turning point in my life, because up until that point, at that point I was uh, 36 I had been a really healthy guy. Like, I did all the sports in high school. I went running. I played basketball and football with high school kids many nights of the week. So I, I was very active and very healthy, and I enjoyed being very active and very healthy, right? I, I liked using my body in all the ways that it could work. I was excited about it. And then once this happened, I would play a little one-on-one -on -one with some of the kids in the gym for basketball, and after two minutes, I was out of breath, and my heart was beating way too fast, and I was shaking. I just felt terrible. And this was something that I actually grieved. It was painful to me to go from being so active and so healthy and doing whatever I want to realize that my body had limitations. And they were coming earlier in life than I expected. Right? I thought that I would stop playing basketball when I was like 70, <laughs> not 36. 
And, you know, I, I would run 5Ks on the weekend or whatever. Shortly after Sammy was born, I did a 5K kind of to celebrate. That kind of stuff was fun to me. And I had friends who were in that kind of, that was part of our culture as my friendship group. And so all that kind of changed with this one diagnosis. And I grieved that, but it also helped me to learn something. And it, it's a lesson that I think applies to all of our lives and relates directly to what we've talked about last week and now this week. Uh, we talked about this amazing gift that's coming this week, and we haven't announced what it is, right? It's the big secret for this Sunday. Uh, the early church is going to receive this amazing gift. And we're going to see as we go through the history of the church, this gift tends to be taken for granted. And that's what I was doing with my health. I'm just going to be healthy as long as I want to be healthy. I'm going to do whatever I want, and my body's going to respond the way I want it to respond. That's not a reality. And none of us knows how long our health is going to last. None of us even knows how long our lives are going to last. So it's foolish to take it for granted. We need to recognize this life and our health and whatever we have as a precious gift from the God who gave us that gift. And there's a second possibility that applies directly to our text this morning and to our lives more broadly. And that is often the gifts we're given, we view as things that we've earned. Right? I deserve these good things that are going on in my life rather than recognizing them as precious gifts from God. And that's how I was about my health. I ate reasonably well, I jogged, I exercised, all those things that I said I did like sports. So I kind of felt entitled to a healthy, fit body. Like, I'm using the owner's manual, I'm doing the things that it says, I'm doing oil changes at regular intervals, this thing should continue to work. But that's not a guarantee. And so, don't assume that the gifts God's given you are things that you've earned. Because 99% of the time, you'll be wrong. We have so many precious gifts that we don't deserve. And the gift we're talking about this morning is one of the best of those gifts that we don't deserve. If you have your Bible with you, please turn in it to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 will begin in verse 1. And as everyone's turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the precious gifts that you've blessed us with. Thank you for life and health, for a relationship with you through Jesus Thank you for a family that loves us, a church family that loves us. Thank you for the privilege of living in a country where we're free to celebrate Jesus Christ whenever we want, wherever we want. Thank you for all that you've given us in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're going to start at the end of that verse because there's something I I hope jumps out to everyone as familiar. They were all with one accord in one place. We've heard that three times in the past few weeks. There seems to be this strong tendency of the early church that they be celebrating their unity with one another and that they be focused on God and that they're spending time together. So that's an early focus of the church. But I also want to talk about the day of Pentecost. What does the day of Pentecost having come mean to these people? We've all heard the word Pentecost, probably most often in the context of describing a denomination, Pentecostal, right? And we probably all have different opinions, but they tend to have lively worship services. And if you watch them on TV, it's markedly different from what many of us are accustomed to. When we think of Pentecostalism, we think of a a little different experience than what most of us are used to. So how does that relate to this day? And what is this day of Pentecost? I want to talk about that a little bit. Pentecost means 50th, right? So this name is actually based on on a number. Some of you who like math should like this holiday. It's a number-based holiday. It's the 50th day from something, something else that the Jews 
celebrated. And you can read about what that something is in Leviticus 23. This is the first homework assignment for today. We're going to have a bunch today. I think we're going to have three homework assignments this morning. So the first one, Leviticus 23. If you read that chapter, you can see most of the major feasts on the Jewish calendar. Leviticus 23. And this one we talked about not too long ago. Remember I brought in the wheat and I waved it around on the front of the platform up here? That was to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. And that came up in 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul was celebrating the fulfillment of that Feast of First Fruits in Jesus Christ when Jesus became the first fruits from the dead. Remember that? He rose from the dead, demonstrating that death had been defeated. And in the Jewish feast calendar, this came 50 days before Pentecost, which gave Pentecost the name Pentecost. And for Jews, during the time of Pentecost, they celebrated the giving of the law because they believed that this was the time when God gave Moses the law back in the wilderness. And even today, you can find conservative Jewish families who celebrate this holiday in the way I'm about to describe to you, which I think is really cool. It's called Matan Torah, or the giving of the law. And so they would stay up all night. Remember, their Sabbath is Saturday. These guys, the early church is meeting on Sunday morning, just as we're meeting on Sunday morning. And so what they would do after the Sabbath, the Sabbath night, they would stay up all night doing scripture memory. The whole family. That was the holiday. Can you imagine a holiday like that now? So you don't get a present in the morning. What we're going to do, kids, we're going to stay up and you're going to memorize scripture. And the kids would actually be rewarded, and still are now, for reciting good chunks of scripture with candy or small gifts. So that's how the holiday was celebrated. So this is, you can imagine the apostles having been together. It says they're in one accord in one place. Why? Because they're celebrating the holiday as they were accustomed. And so they're up celebrating God's word. They're celebrating the giving of God's word. And now something different and new and exciting is going to happen. And I want to say this with a little bit of hesitation on my part. But you will hear a lot of sermons on Acts chapter 2 that say a whole lot about this first verse that's not there in the Bible. And some of the folks who do that are older and wiser than me, so I don't intend to criticize that. But I want to say this morning, we're going to be really careful to observe only what's actually in the Bible and not extra things that we're bringing into it. Because there's a caution I want us to draw from it. So what the verse actually says is, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Do you feel like we're being set up for something? I do. They're setting the framework, the setting for the story that they're going to tell. And the first thing that we can call out that I think is explicit in the text is that devotion to God and each other is central to Christianity. This is the dawn of the Christian church, and the first and only comment we have on them so far is they're all with one accord in one place. That means they're all pursuing the same agenda. They are in unity. They're having fellowship together, and they're all in one place. So they're all doing the same thing in the same place. Devotion to God and to each other is central to Christianity. The reason they're all with one accord in one place is they're celebrating God's word. The reason I mentioned that there's a lot of sermons on this chunk that talk about something that's not present in the text is because the thing that's coming is so awesome and so amazing that people want it. And we're looking for ways to manufacture it even if it's not really there. And so if we can read in some extra stuff to verse 1 about the people and how they brought this amazing thing that's about to happen on themselves, maybe we can do the same stuff and get the same results. 
I don't think that's something that we can take from this text. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Okay, so what happened? Can you imagine you're sitting in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You're praying, you're celebrating God's word, and this happens. A sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it fills the whole house, and there appear tongues of fire falling on each person. I can just imagine looking out over the congregation and seeing fire on each of your heads and hearing a loud roaring wind. That would get my attention. And it got their attention. But what I want us to know is what did the people do to cause the tongues of fire to come from heaven and the big, loud, roaring wind? What did they do to cause that to happen? Because you will hear sermons about that, right? All the great revivals of the Christian church started with prayer, and the reason this happened is because they were gathered having their prayer meeting. Right? We make points like that. I've read books with points like that. I've heard sermons with points like that. But that's not what the Bible says. Why did this happen? You remember, you were here last week and the week before that. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a greater gift. When I leave, the comforter the Father has promised will come. This amazing earth-shaking event that got everybody's attention didn't happen because these people were so special. It happened because God made a promise. And God always keeps His promises. God said He would give them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit. And that's a really important thing for us to understand. The gift of the Spirit came as a result of God's work, not man's. The gift of the Spirit came as a result of God's work, not man's. I hope, having seen the big introduction of the Holy Spirit, you have some questions about what that means. After there's a big rushing wind and the fire falls on everybody's heads, what's going to happen next? And we get to read that in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's pretty amazing. So, Everybody got you in headsets at the same time. Everybody could understand one another. Why is that so remarkable? Well, if you've been coming to the adult Sunday school class in the morning, you've had this brought to your attention just recently. Something happened in the book of Genesis that made it really, really difficult for human beings from different areas to communicate with one another. You remember? The Tower of Babel? So our language was Babelized, and we couldn't understand each other. So I could try to talk to you with all sincerity, and my English to your Arabic-speaking ears just sounds like gibberish. 
And likewise, as much as you care about me and as excited as you are, in your Arabic voice, I'm going to hear things that I don't understand. But suddenly, in one moment, all those barriers vanish because God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, enables these people to speak and understand one another's language. That's remarkable. That's amazing. That's something that people might pursue for reasons other than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? And we'll see later that that's exactly what's going to happen. Maybe I can sell this, bottle it up and sell it. That's going to happen in the book of Acts. But another thing that I want to point out that I think is a a point of contention among believers in our society today is what is the gift of tongues, right? This tells us what the gift of tongues was in this context. And there are YouTube videos, which you can peruse right now, that will tell you how you can speak in tongues. And the basic instructions are to just keep repeating a, a sound pattern over and over again, And eventually you'll have this sort of delirious experience and all kinds of sounds will come out of your mouth and that will be you speaking in tongues. But my question is, if you're watching that video and comparing it with what we just read, do they line up? Does that sound like what's happening in the book of Acts? Did we read in verse 1 about a guy who stood up and told everyone else to follow his speech pattern until they had the right sounding gibberish and then they could all just celebrate and laugh together with their gibberish? No. They were people celebrating God's word, and all of a sudden their lives were markedly transformed. And it wasn't just some kind of gibberish that they were speaking. They were speaking known languages that other people could understand with a very specific purpose. Did you notice our text tells us what the purpose was? They weren't just saying, hey, good to meet you. I'm happy we were all able to get together today here in Jerusalem, and it's wonderful that we can meet each other and understand each other. No, look again at verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, what? The wonderful works of God. Not I'm special because I can speak your language or I'm special because I can talk differently from everyone else. God is special and look at what he did. That's what they're saying. The gift of tongues at Pentecost immediately destroyed barriers to witness. The gift of tongues at Pentecost immediately destroyed barriers to witness. And we've talked about the big elephant in the room, obvious barrier to witness that's been destroyed. If I speak English and you speak Arabic, it's going to be difficult for us to have a conversation. Unless one of us invests years and years and years in becoming fluent in the other's language. Then we might be able to have a conversation. But we've got 20 language groups here represented in the text, and suddenly they can communicate well enough to understand that the apostles are talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done. This is an amazing thing. That's a barrier just being destroyed. But there were other barriers too. I live in America. 99.9% of the people I meet in my daily activities speak English. And yet, I'm not always proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if there's another barrier besides language that prevents me from sharing Jesus Christ has risen from the dead with people who need to hear that death has been defeated. So what are those barriers? There's my pride. There's my fear of rejection. There's my perceived response from the people I'm witnessing to. The Holy Spirit destroyed all of those as well. These guys are boldly proclaiming in languages they don't even know the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. So it's not only the language barrier that's being destroyed. 
And I want us to remember that and think about that because that applies to our world profoundly even as the language barrier becomes less important. Right? I have people who work for me that live in Bangalore in India and in Brno in the Czech Republic and they speak languages other than English as their primary language. But we can communicate in their language using Google Translate fairly readily. And we do it just for fun because half of them or more speak English pretty well. But we can use Google Translate, put big blocks of text in and send them back and forth to each other and it comes out well enough that we know what's going on and if it's a little off, we enjoy it and laugh together. So language is becoming less of a barrier than it was at this time. But some of the other ones, I think, are at least as strong as they were back then. I think human pride has not weakened over the last 2,000 years. I don't see evidence that fear of rejection has become weaker over the past 2,000 years. So if I have this crazy belief in the back of my head that God became a man and walked around in a human body like mine and lived a perfect, sinless life and then offered up that life as the only fit sacrifice to buy me a healthy, whole relationship with God, I might not be having that kind of belief system right on the tip of my tongue because I know that a lot of people think that's crazy. And they make fun of it, and they mock it, and they talk about Jesus being a zombie and me being someone who believes in a zombie. Why would I want to enter in that whole conversation? And we'll see that even back then, the reaction wasn't so different. Look at verse 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And let's take a second and step back and admit we're probably going to do the same thing if this were to happen to us. If I encountered a group of people who could suddenly speak all these languages and I knew they hadn't been studying for 20 years to learn all these languages, I would be saying to myself, what's going on here? How did this happen? And that's the same thing that these people did. Some of them. Others had a different response. Look at verse 13. Others, mocking, said... They are full of new wine. They're drunk. The reason these guys are saying all this stuff that they wouldn't be able to say otherwise is because they're drunk. Of course, we would never mock someone who looks different or sounds different, but some people do. And this is a a really important warning to us because when we see things that are different from what we're accustomed to, even those of us sitting here on Sunday morning, we have a tendency to mock that, to make fun of it, to view it as different and something that we hold in derision or scoff at or mock. And in doing so, you can miss out on amazing gifts. That's what these people did. Right? They have God revealing himself in this incredible way, speaking in a language they can understand the good news of what Jesus has done, and their response is, ha ha, you guys are drunk. We could be in the same boat. Um, I have throughout my life, enjoyed sarcastic humor. And I've been a little bit of a practitioner myself. I I enjoy sarcasm and I make fun of it. But the Bible is full of warnings against mocking and sarcasm. If you read Proverbs and take out the word mocking, you're going to have a lot of holes in your book of Proverbs. Because all this wisdom from God says, hey, don't be a mocker. Don't be the one who's making fun of this other stuff because there's a good chance you have no idea what you're making fun of. And in so doing, you're going to miss out on powerful, important things. And this is a message I wanted to reinforce uh, because it's something that's convicting to me as a person. I'm sure there are others here who struggle with the same thing. I I often make fun of ideas that I don't view as right or that I see as new or different to me. And so I thought we could do another rewind back in history to my childhood. And we have a couple of special video guests 
who are going to help us remember a little bit about mocking. Can we bring them? You know, they can improve the whole show if they just change the ending. How? Put it closer to the beginning. (laughs) That was an amazing mess of mediocre mediocrity. You can say that again. Want to (laughs) bet? I thought for once the show really caught fire. <laughs> I thought it burned itself out, same as always. <laughs> Good night. So long. Oh, no. I didn't like it. What do you avocado think? It's the pits. <laughs> I liked that last number. What did you like about it? It was the last number. <laughs> So some of you have never seen those guys, probably. But if you're as old as me or older, these were Muppet friends. So there was this TV show called The Muppets. There's a bunch of puppets who did all kinds of things. Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo. They were famous. They were big parts of childhood for people who are my age or a little bit older. And they were funny. They did all kinds of funny stuff. But because I was the weird kid, these two were one of my favorite parts of the show. Because they made fun of the show. They were mocking what took place on the show. And we enjoy that. We find it humorous. But at the same time, I want us to remember it's dangerous to mock things we don't understand. Because you may be mocking the work of the holy creator of the universe out of your own ignorance. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that those mocking the work of the early church put themselves in a horrible situation. They had, for the first time in history, clear access to the word of God coming from people who had experienced it firsthand, and they made fun of it. They had an opportunity to hear about eternal life, an opportunity to know what it meant to have a relationship with God, and they made fun of it. And so they confronted their eternal destiny with the attitude of these guys up in the peanut gallery. And we don't want to be those people. There's a reason the Bible is full of warnings against mocking. And things haven't changed. Um, We see the reaction here in verses 12 and 13. Some people are amazed. Some people are perplexed or confused. Some are asking, what does this mean? And others are mocking. And if you have spent any serious amount of time in sharing your faith with people, you've run into this. You've experienced mocking. You've seen people making fun of you for believing these crazy ideas about a God who defeats death. And so the work of God's Spirit is accompanied by amazement, confusion, mocking, and a greater gift. We have a similar ending note this week to the one we encountered last week. Remember last week as uh, we wrapped up the message, we said this week we'd be celebrating a big, amazing gift from God. And that big, amazing gift from God is the Holy Spirit, who we see delivered in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This is why Pentecostal denominations are called Pentecostal, because they believe they're practicing these gifts from the Holy Spirit today. And so Pentecost, Pentecostal. But we have something that we face that leads us to abuse this gift, to take it for granted. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks. That the biggest blessing of this gift is people noticing me being different. People pursue the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he brings because it enables them to look good. It enables them to get attention. It enables them to be the point of focus. And that's not what we see here. Did Peter and the other apostles 
do what they did so that they could get attention, so that they could be famous, so they could make a name for themselves. No, that runs exactly counter to what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is equipping them to do our mission. To celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. That's what they were doing. They were celebrating the greatness of God for the renewal of the people God had called them to. That they might have new life. That they might encounter the risen Christ in His grace and have a relationship with Him that would lead them to an eternity in heaven. The Holy Spirit didn't come to make people look cool or to be the center of attention. He came to equip us and encourage us for ministry. And so as we move forward and we see the amazing things that these men are going to do in the early history of the church, there's a temptation to see these guys as superheroes and say, look, Peter did everything perfect. We kind of joked about that idea last week. Peter didn't do everything perfectly. And we can look at some of these other guys who did amazing things like the Apostle Paul. And we're going to read about the suffering he endured in order to proclaim the gospel. And we think, he's a superhero. This is a man like us with selfish desires and his own ambitions and his own agenda who the Holy Spirit got a hold of. And the Holy Spirit took his heart and pointed in a new direction and made glorifying Jesus Christ the focus of his life. And so when I say the work of God's Spirit is accompanied by amazement, confusion, mocking, and a greater gift, I want us to be laser-focused on what the greater gift is. What is the ministry that the Holy Spirit enables? And we're going to see that next week, but we're going to touch on it now because it's already become apparent from what they're doing. And that is the salvation of souls. People who are headed for hell are now headed for heaven because of what we're reading this morning. The message of the gospel came down to us through history because of what the Holy Spirit did in Acts chapter 2 and continues to do today. So there's a cautionary tale. There's a warning. You have an incredible gift. The same Holy Spirit who did all this stuff that we read about is living in you today. Don't take that gift for granted. Don't think you have it because you earned it. It is a gift from God with a very specific purpose to equip and encourage believers for worship and witness. And that's what we're all about. We are here to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good gifts that you give us. For another day of life, for a beautiful sunshiny day, for friends and family to share it with. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way you convict us of sin. Thank you for the way you make us aware of our need for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way you make us bold to proclaim the good news of Jesus, even in a culture that rejects it. Thank you for the way you seal us for eternity with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. All of these are precious gifts that none of us deserves, and we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.com dot o r g